You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. We're going to start off today with some good news, right? So uh, a lot of you knew Derek and were uh, glad to have him here and bummed when he left like I was. And so we've been on the hunt for a new care groups uh, pastor. And we found somebody that we're pretty excited about and to introduce him to you. A lot of you know him. Come on up here, Mr. Terry. Terry. Yeah. I feel like you should like turn around or something. This is the, there you go. (laughs) That was for Trish. Um, (laughs) Hey, it's second service and the sun's out. I'm sorry. I can't be responsible for what happens this service. So Terry is coming on the team with us on our staff at the Pullman campus. He's going to be our care groups pastor. And as you guys know, care groups in our church are sort of a big deal. Like they're the main thing. Like they are the backbone of our church. They're where people are, are discipled and shepherded and pastored is in their care group, in their small group. And Terry's going to be responsible for kind of raising up coaches and overseeing those groups and helping with curriculum and pretty much one of the most important jobs in our church. So don't screw it up. <laughs> All right, I am very, very excited that Terry's coming on the team um, because he and I have just kind of hit it off ever since we met each other, and uh, so that is a fun part, and I love his family. I'm also excited to, to have help shepherding four or 500 people that are part of our Pullman campus because it's been a little overwhelming for a few months, and so to have somebody on board, but not just anybody, the right body is awesome, and that's pretty exciting to me, so... Um, Hey, we're going to get rolling because I have got a pit, put a uh, 10-pound sermon in a five-pound sack. So we have been in this series, uh, One Big Story, okay? And we're uh, trying to help everybody understand the whole overarching narrative of God's big story from the beginning to the end. It's no small task in eight weeks, right? And so one of the things we're doing every week is we're kind of going back and doing some recap. We're starting at the beginning and building kind of a rolling start into the message. And it's important that we do that because we want to make sure that if we're going to tell God's story to our family and to our friends and in our community, that we tell God's story the way God tells his story. That we don't just tell some version of it that's the story we made up that we think is God's story. And so we're trying to remind ourselves each week of the key elements, the big rocks in God's narrative in the story that he wants us to tell. And so several weeks ago, we started in the beginning in Genesis and we were uh, reminded like the people were coming out of Egypt We were reminded that God is a good God, right? He's not mad, he's not angry, he's not upset, that we weren't a mistake, we weren't a disappointment, that God is a good God who made a good creation and he made man and woman in his image and his likeness and when he saw them, he said they were what? Very good. good. He said, come on now everybody, very good. Okay, now when Aaron and Marty do this, I'm working on my Hebrew words. I, I, I don't have the dictionary like they do. They got, they got the, the big Hebrew dictionary. I got like eight Hebrew words, but I'm getting there, okay? So he's, when they say it, they say that he was, that, that God made us tov meod, which means very good. And, and, and they always do this, tov meod, right? Right? When I was thinking about it, I realized that that's not accurate or fair because some people are like, tov meod, right? Like they're straighter on the sides. Some people are like, tov meod, right? 
I'll let you do that, whatever you want. <laughs> Probably don't do it in public, okay? God made us, and he made us very good. And then we went on to talk about this, this, the issue that is if God made the world good and full of potential, and he made man and woman, he made them very good, then why is it that there's sin in the world? We talked about the fact that it, the problem isn't how we were made. The problem is the voices that we listen to and the other voices that come in and tell us things that are contrary to the word of God, that tell us things that get us off track and steer us off the path from following God and get our eyes focused on things that are not godly, that get us focused on things about ourselves that are not things God says about us. And with that comes consequences. When we listen to those voices, with that comes consequences and, we're, and there's shame that enters in. There's guilt, there's envy, there's frustration, there's anger and bitterness. And it gets messy. And I know Aaron, I think, has mentioned this over here before when he's been over, but there's a book out that really is an awesome book when it comes to um, learning about anger and being offended as Christians. It's called, a uh, real catchy title to remember, it's easy, Unoffendable. It's called Unoffendable, and it's by Brant Hansen. Um, it should be like required reading for Christians. It's a great great book. And in this book, you'll learn that if you're a Christ follower and um, following God, then not only do you not have any reason to be offended or angry, but you actually don't have a right to be offended or angry. And some of you might be kind of stirring some things like, I don't know, does that sound right? Or is that biblical? Have you met my husband? <laughs> have you met my wife? Like, I have a reason to be offended, Right? Actually, you don't. And so if, if that kind of stirs something in you, I would challenge you, get on Amazon and get that book. It's cheap. It's a paperback. I can read it. It means anybody can, right? So it passes the THAD test. Um, so we talk about the voices that we listen to and, and the consequences of that. And then in the third week, we got into talking about Abraham. And we were reminded that in Abraham... God saw a man that he would trust to tell his story the way he wanted it told. And so he went to Abraham and he made him a promise. And he gave Abraham this promise that through him, he would make his name great so that all the people of the, of the earth would be blessed, right? Like he would make Abraham's name great, not so that Abraham's name could be great, but so that through Abraham, everyone could be blessed, right? And he's been, Aaron's been on this kick for this blessing conduit. He says like, it, he says like, uh, like us, like Abraham, we're a blessing conduit. Like through us, God's blessing flows. And he's sort of half serious and sort of half joking that he thinks he's gonna make a worship song called Blessing Conduit. And so there's a lot of cool words that rhyme with conduit, like none. Um, and I thought I was going to be funny and come up with a, a funny blessing conduit, you know, uh, chorus or something. And I tried pretty hard, but the problem is my mind has like a bad word association thing where I kind of like bam, bam, bam. Next thing you know, I was in Albuquerque. And so it sort of went like this, conduit, fonduit, La Fonda. She's Napoleon. You don't have to be so mad at me. I've been chatting online with babes all day. <laughs> and I was there. It was a long ways from a worship song. 
If that's not funny to you, I'm sorry. I did youth ministry for a lot of years. I've seen Napoleon Dynamite more than I've seen myself in the mirror. So I'm sorry. So that's what we learned about Abraham. And then we looked at this cycle, right? And we talked about this cycle and we called it the redemption cycle. And the problem we talked about was the fact that in this cycle, one of the things that people throughout history have tried to kind of label it as the sin cycle, this issue of where people separate themselves from God's sin and they try to make the whole story about them and their sin. And I've got news for you. You are just not that important. No matter how special you think you are, your story and your junk and your sin does not drive God's story. We learned that that cycle is actually God's redemption cycle. And it reminds us that God has a limitless, relentless patience to pursue us to redeem us back into himself and to reconcile us so that we're back in a, in a right relationship with him in peace. And then we went on and started learning about the cross. And last week, Aaron was over here and, and we talked about the cross and we talked about some really important things. We talked about this idea that God was at rest while Jesus was on the cross. If you didn't catch it, jump online and listen to it from last week. It was powerful. We talked about the idea that Jesus on the cross was actually more likely worshiping and quoting scripture than is more of a traditional view of Jesus on the cross sort of panicking like, holy smokes, God, what happened? Why am I here? What's going on? Why have you forsaken me? What's happening? What's happening? Like way more in line with who Jesus is and God's story is the idea that Jesus on the cross was actually worshiping in the most traumatic time in his life. He was quoting what a lot of us have, like what we would call a life verse. Some people tattoo them on them and stuff like that. People call it like, this is my life passage. Well, in uh, ancient Jewish culture with rabbis, they would have a death passage. It was the passage that they would want, like the last things crossing over their lip was this scripture. This was Jesus quoting the words to an ancient worship song as he passed on the cross. Here's the question I want you to ponder. How do you respond to the most traumatic experiences in your life? How do you respond to really hard things that happen in your life? And yes, I'm saying really hard stuff like news of cancer, a loved one passing away, some catastrophic accident, like those really hard things, how do you respond to those? Do you respond by clinging to the text like Jesus did? Do you respond with worship? Can you respond in rest like God the Father? How do you respond? But not just in the horrible things, the amazingly difficult, great, big traumas of life. What about the smaller what I'd like to call the lesser traumas. 
in the heat of it, they feel pretty stinking bad, like difficult. But in hindsight, you're like, oh, that was nothing. Those kind of traumas, like the car that won't start for the third time and you might get fired because you've been late to work three times in one week. They go home in October and you're out of money and the heater goes out. How do you fix it when you don't even have the money to pay for it? Like, how do you respond to the, to the lesser traumas? Um, last week, Lanny and I got an, a chance to, uh, an opportunity to practice responding to a lesser trauma. Uh, at the moment, in the heat of the moment, it didn't feel that lesser. It felt pretty greater. Uh, let me tell you about it. It's, um, it's pretty crazy. So, a lot of you know, we uh, moved here about a year ago from Montana. We sold a business. And when we were over there in eastern Montana, um, everybody always says, Montana, where are you from? It, we're like three inches from North Dakota. So nowhere anyone's ever been, probably. We were there, the, the vacant part of Montana. And we started this business. It went really well. Um, we had a house that our son lived in. We had a house that we lived in. And when we got the call to come back to ministry, we were super excited. We sold everything gladly, like not begrudgingly at all. We were, we were fine. It was awesome. God was super faithful in helping us get out of the situation that we were in. And, and like to be able to sell a house, one house in an area that like takes eight or nine months for a house to sell. And it sold before Amazon could deliver the for sale sign. The house was sold. The next one, the same way, without any advertising or effort. The business, one conversation, I found someone to buy the business at a fair price. Like, unbelievable how God worked things out for us to be here. And then I started to have a lot of conversations with my accountant, a guy who I wasn't that excited to be that good of friends with. I'm like, wow. This is awesome. I thought I was going to make money, right? And so we went through this whole deal, and I started learning about capital gains and recapturing depreciation. And if you know about any of that stuff, I'm sorry. Um, it's not that fun. And what I found out was it was going to cost us a lot more in taxes than I ever expected. And so everything that we had saved up, what we came out with, we thought we had a down payment for a house. We thought we had a backup savings account, you know, like when it was all settled and the dust all settled, the tax bill was to the penny what we had saved. And it was like a little bit of sticker shock, a little bit of, are you sure, you know, pleading with the accountant. But then we switched, the, we switched and it was like, you know what, even writing that check, it was a hard check to write to the government and to the state of Montana. They were big checks. They were difficult to write. But even writing them, it was gratefulness. It was like, well, we have it to, to do. Like, we have it to pay. Thank you, Lord, that we have it to pay. And, and I'm not saying any of that to, like, feel sorry for us or nothing like that. Like, we were so stoked to be here. And that stuff is just stuff. I, and we don't care about it at all. It's so not important. But we were so grateful, like at least we had it to give, right? To pay. Then along comes this next Wednesday, this last Wednesday, this last week. So the taxes have been paid since March and the business is done and closed and the houses are done and closed and everything's behind us and we're free and clear of it and we're moving forward and we're charging hard here and we're excited. And I go to the mailbox on Wednesday and I get this letter. It's actually this letter right here. Uh, 
I was saying this letter probably needs to go in my Bible and staple it in there so I don't lose it to be reminded of how awesome God is and how dumb I am and forget how awesome God is. But I get this letter in the mail on Wednesday at the end of the day. It says from the Montana Department of Revenue that I owe $16,709.97. So the first thing I thought of was not how good God is. Worship songs were not ringing in my ears. I was having heart palpitations and I was worried if my left arm was going numb. Like I was, whew, breathe, 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 right? Like my heart went to my stomach. I was full of anxiety. I was full of worry. And then the night goes on. My wife was not feeling good at all this last week. So I'm like, I'm not telling her because I don't want her to be a wreck all night. So the next day I get up and Thursday this week turned into one of the longest days of unfun phone calls of my life, right? And so I start making phone calls and everybody I talk to says, yep, you owe that money. That's what's filed, that's what that, and I'm like, I've already paid over 10 grand. Like there's no way, this doesn't make any sense. And every phone call, yep, 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 this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And the longer the day went on, the more my like just heaviness of spirit was just like, oh, how am I, and then I do what all guys do, right? I try to start figuring out how am I going to fix it on my own. Rather than go to the Lord, I'm like immediately like, okay, I could sell my Jeep. That's paid for. I could sell my son's truck. That's paid for. I could do this. I could do that. What are all the things I need to do to cover that? Like, is it even possible? And in the back of my head, I hear this song, the words to this worship song we've been singing a bunch lately about that God is a God that can move mountains and we believe he could do it again. He's a God that makes a way when there was no way and we believe he could do it again. And in the back of my head, I can hear the Holy Spirit sort of like singing that tune and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, what am I going to do about this? Right? And all day long, and they had given me the number, <clears throat> they'd given me the number to this department that was the right place to call or whatever. And I tried and I've been on hold for hours and it wasn't getting through. And at the end of the day, my wife's like, before they close, just try it one more time. Be patient. Let's just, just call them. So I call them. I get a lady on the phone at the end of the day. Within a matter of like two minutes, it's solved. Debt gone. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. This was in the wrong place. This residency thing was incorrect. This is this, this is this, and this is fixed, and this is fixed. Mind you, I've talked to like five people in Montana Department of Revenue that all told me I owed that money. And this lady, sitting at some other desk somewhere, I don't know, says, nope, you're right. You don't know anything else. This is fixed, this is fixed, this is fixed. And you're going to get a letter in the mail that says it's closed, it's final, and you don't know anything else. And I get off the phone, and I'm just like, whoo, hallelujah. I about jumped for joy right? And I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I share that story with you for a couple of reasons. Um, one, first off and foremost, like I want to testify to God's goodness, right? Like I want us to be reminded and hear stories of God coming through because that's the kind of God we have. But I also share it with you to be a little bit transparent and honest that it's easy for us to be up here on the stage sometimes saying, hey, hard things are happening, worship your way through it. And then I get in those situations myself and I don't do so good. Like, I have to work my own way through it and be reminded by God that he is a good God that takes care of us and that 
he has made a way where there's no way, and he can do it again. And I do need to remember the words of that song and eat some humble pie and just lean on God and not try to just fix it myself, right? It's why I'm really glad that the words of Isaiah 55 are true. They're in your notes, and they're going to be up here. Let's take a look at them together because it's, it's pretty powerful. It's a, it's a passage that's familiar to a lot of people. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Right? So why can God be at rest when Jesus is on the cross? Why can Jesus be clinging to the scriptures and quoting scripture and worshiping at one of the most traumatic points in his life? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God can be at rest with Jesus on the cross because he knows what's on the other side of the empty tomb. He knows that the resurrected Jesus is right around the corner and there is nothing to fret or worry about. So we're going to run through and we're going to take a look at some passages and we're going to take a look at what happens when people experience the resurrected Jesus. How do people change when they experience and come into contact and get to know the resurrected Jesus? This first one we're going to look at is in John 20. And it starts off with Mary Magdalene. Mary is totally destroyed, brokenhearted, humbled, like wringing out her heart, sad like crazy. And she does what a lot of us have done when we lose a loved one, especially in the very beginning. We go to the grave to be near them to just weep and to just grieve, knowing even though they can't hear us, at least like we're close. And so she goes to the grave, and this is how it works out. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she, took, uh, she stooped to look into the tomb. And as she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? They're like, why are you so sad? If you knew what we knew, you'd have nothing to cry about. There's no reason to be sad. And she said to him, they've taken my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. And having said this, she, returned, uh, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Again, like if you knew who I was, you'd have nothing to be sad about. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned around and said to him in Aramaic, it was actually Hebrew, said, uh, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So Mary goes to the tomb to be near the body of Jesus, to weep and to be sad and to be full of sorrow and heartache and despair. And she encounters the resurrected Jesus and it radically changes her focus. Mary actually ends up basically becoming 
the first evangelist in the history of the church, right? Like Jesus chooses to reveal himself first to a lady and to say, go to a bunch of guys and tell them that you've seen the resurrected Jesus. Tell them you saw me and I'm on my way. He sends out a woman to carry his message first to a bunch of guys. What do you think about that, ladies? It's pretty cool. Let's keep reading. Let's see what happens. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, right? Jesus is like, pops in. Hey, I don't know if you guys knew this, but your doors were locked. The doors over there, those ones, yeah, they were locked. So I did my wall thing. I like, you know, did what I do. And he came in and he said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to him again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and then said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold this uh, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Right? So Mary experiences the resurrected Jesus. She gets a message to proclaim. The disciples experience the resurrected Jesus and they get peace. Let's take a look at another one. You guys remember Thomas? doubting Thomas, right? He wasn't there in the room when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time. So when he shows up, they're excited to tell him what happened. This is where he gets his nickname. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand and stick it in his side, I will never believe. Check this out. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. This time he was there. And although the doors were locked, weird, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He's like, hey, I don't know if you guys realize this, but your doors were locked again. So I did that thing. Here I am. Peace be with you, right? And here's what's cool. This conversation that's about to happen, here's what's really neat. Like Thomas has no idea that Jesus knows about the conversation that he had with the guys. Like I need this proof. I need this evidence. And and. Jesus knew about that conversation. And here's what's cool. Like Jesus, we get to see Jesus responding to a guy who wanted proof. And he's not mad at him. He's not upset about it. He's not frustrated with him. He's like, I want to give you what you need so that you can believe. Here's how their conversation went. It says eight days later, so that would happen. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they have believed. Like Thomas goes from weeping and fear and doubt and he shifts to become this guy that's full of passion and purpose and mission and calling and, and conviction about what he believes in. We know from secular history that Thomas went on to be a, a, a preacher that was passionate about proclaiming the resurrected Jesus 
and he was actually martyred for his faith. He was preaching on a street corner when two guys snuck up behind him and ran him through with a spear and stabbed him and stuck him to a wall. He was preaching about the resurrected Jesus. Let's take a look at another one. Matthew 28. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, uh, to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like these guys, when Jesus is in the tomb, they're hiding, they're scared, they're afraid. Everywhere they go, the doors are locked behind them for fear of what could happen to them. And they experience the resurrected Jesus and they get a mission. Mary experiences the resurrected Jesus and she gets compassion. She gets a message to proclaim. Later, Peter is restored by the resurrected Jesus as they sit on the beach and he restores relationship after denying him. When we experience the resurrected Jesus, it changes things. It changes things. There's another passage in your notes that we're not going to go over because it's a long one and trying to get through all these. It's a great story, and it's one the kids are actually doing in children's church. It's a story about two guys that were leaving Jerusalem. They were leaving Jerusalem. They had experienced and seen all of this crazy stuff that was going on, and they were leaving Jerusalem, and they're on a, their road walking to a place called Emmaus, and on the road, Jesus appeared to them, and they didn't know it was Jesus, and he starts to talk to them. These were guys that were not any of the disciples, and he starts to talk to them, and he's hearing them talk about how confused they were about what happened in Jerusalem, and they were worried and concerned, and they weren't sure what to make of all of it, and he says, don't you understand, like, all of these things had to happen this way so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. And he goes on, it says, to explain to them the whole story from the beginning, clear back in the Old Testament. And he weaves together for them God's big story. And he helps them understand why things had to happen the way they had happened and how everything that they had just witnessed in Jerusalem was a fulfillment of God's word. And, as a, and after that, going through this whole conversation with him, he actually reveals himself. It says that their eyes are opened and they see the resurrected Jesus. What's the result of that? What changes? What happens? They actually stop their plans, turn around and haul butt back to Jerusalem to proclaim the truth about what they had just seen. Like they're just like, you have no idea what we just experienced. We saw Jesus on the road and he told us everything and all of these things. And they just go on proclaiming God's story to everybody back in Jerusalem. Like everybody's got to know what he just told us. Listen. The resurrected Christ changes people. The resurrected Christ changes people. He changed people then. He changes people now. 
We could go through this room and find testimony after testimony after testimony of people before they knew Christ and before they came to put their faith and trust in him and experience the resurrected Jesus and put their faith and hope in a God that made them as good and their testimony from before they knew Jesus to after they got to know Jesus is radical and different. Their life is different. People are different when they experience the resurrected Christ. Right? We have a good God who loves us. I know I'm stealing Tom's line. He said this earlier in worship. I love this line. He was like, you know, when we come to communion and we come to, to this time, sometimes it's such a somber thing. And I love the way he described it. But like, it should be this celebration. Like we think of Jesus on the cross. Like I don't think Jesus looked back at the cross and went, man, I'm, I'm really bummed about that. Like, I'm so sorry I died. Like Jesus, or, or God looked at it with regret. Like Jesus was so glad to go to the cross for us. Like people experienced Jesus raised from the dead and it was excitement and jubilee and worship and, and just awe and amazement like this is awesome. They went from the worst day of their life to the most amazing thing that they could ever dream up. Like there's no better day you would ever have than meeting the resurrected Christ. When we get to celebrate communion each and every week, it's cool because we get to be reminded the lengths that Jesus would go to so that we can experience him resurrected, right? So we're going to do that in just a second. They're going to pass out these buckets. And as they pass the buckets out down to the sides, just drop your connection cards in those. And then you can drop your tithing offering if you want to. You can throw it in the back. Um, and then right after that, they're going to pass out the uh, communion trays, the elements for communion. And it's important that everybody knows, especially if you're new with us at Real Life, uh, we have what we call an open table at communion. And that means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome to have communion with us. You don't have to be a member or pass some special test. You just have to love Jesus and want to celebrate with us the fact that he died, was buried, and resurrected. And so when those are passed out, if you would just hold on to them for a second, and then we'll take them together at the end of the service, okay? Now, in your notes, there is... Uh, some implications, some takeaway nuggets. They're, they're in, your, in your little handout. They're going to be up on the screen. But I just want to remind you, like, each week when we do these implications, uh, I often talk about or kind of challenge people, like, take them home and chew on them a little bit through the week. Like, let God work on you and maybe show you something a few days from now. And I got to tell you a cool little testimony about this. Um, we had a gal who did just that. She took the... the notes home, and there were some things in the implications from a sermon here a while back that really kind of stirred in her heart, but she was, she was sort of wrestling with, it feels important, but I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it yet, and she stuck it on her mirror, and she just kind of hung on to it and kept reflecting on it day after day. A few weeks went by, and she was on the verge of sort of taking it down and throwing it away, and then she came to church, and something that was said in the sermon really lit up a light bulb for what God was trying to show her through this implication and this other message. And so things started coming together and she just really felt convicted to take some steps of action, like God was showing her something to do. 
And so she texted my wife and started tell, sharing this story and sharing some things she was going through and something she wanted to do, and it was as a response to this thing. And it's just really cool that God was working through her faithfulness to, to just take time to listen and hear from the Lord. And so I just share that with you just to be encouraged. Like, if you're feeling like one of these is sort of sticking out to me, I'm not sure, take it home and chew on it. Put it somewhere where you'll see it again, like in front of the coffee pot or the refrigerator, right? Those are guaranteed spots. So let's take a look at the ones for today. The first one is this. We can never lose the plot of the story and how we are telling it to the world, right? This is so important. Like I talked about at the beginning today, it's so important that if we're going to tell God's story to our family, to our friends, to a world around us, we need to tell God's story the way God tells his story, and it starts in the beginning with a good God who made a good creation full of potential and he made us very good. And if we're going to tell God's story, it needs to be in that context. Let's look at the next one. We all experience tragic moments. What now? Right? If you've been alive for more than five minutes, then you know that hard things happen to people, right? Hard things happen to people. And if you go up to somebody and do what a lot of us do or do it to ourselves when hard things are happening, the first thing we often ask is why? Why is this happening to me? Why now? Why not then? Why not? Like, why is this happening? Or we do like Job's friends and we go and look at someone else that's having some tragedy happening to him and we go, why is this happening to you? Let me tell you, if you know somebody that's got really horrible, horrific, difficult things going on in their life, and you're the guy or the gal that goes up to him and says, why is this happening? You might get socked in the nose. That's not the right question. When we're going through hard times, when, when tragedy strikes, we don't ask, why is this happening? We say, what now? What now, God? Do I worship now? Do I cling to the text? Do I rest? What now? Let's look at this last one. We are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. And if Jesus worships in his hardest moments, then we must do that too. I don't know how I can express this to you enough, but like you can say all you want about being a Jesus follower. Like I'm a Christian and I've gone to this and I've been to church and I've gone to this. You can say all you want about following Jesus. But when hard things happen in your life or the life of people you love, how you respond, and if you're able to respond and live out a life in front of your family and friends that looks like Jesus, that's rubber meets the road Christianity. Like, look like Jesus clinging to the text, worshiping God on the worst day of your life. And I'm here to testify it's easier said than done. But that's the target. That's the mark. That's what we strive for, is to live a life like Jesus. And we get to celebrate and remember each week, like I was saying, we oftentimes come to communion and we're really um, kind of humble and solemn and rightly so. It's a reverent thing. But there are times where we need to also be reminded that there is resurrection. We aren't just looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the, the penalty paid for our sin, but we're also celebrating that he conquered death, 
that we have a resurrected king that's resurrecting us, right? Like that song, like those are true words as we sing those things out. So this morning as we take communion, I mean, I would challenge you, like sometimes, and I'm, I do this a lot, like I get very solemn and kind of heavy when I come to communion. And I would challenge you this morning, let's celebrate. Let's like think of the resurrected king, like having that Jesus turn around and tap us on the shoulder like he did Mary and say, hey, hey, I'm right here. Let's hang out today. Let's celebrate that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He says, this is my body given for you. As often as we get together, let's do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Represents his blood shed for us. As often as we get together, let's drink it in remembrance of him. Amen, Lord. We love you and we thank you. God, that you conquered death. You're a good God. We pray that you have got a smile on your face as we celebrate and worship your resurrected son. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com. 